Hello and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Russell Matambo, and our guest today is Dare Okuju. Dare is the founder and CEO of MFS Africa, a leading pan-African fintech company operating the largest digital payments hub on the continent. The MFS Africa hub connects over 400 million mobile wallets, offering unparalleled reach into the growing African digital consumers. MFS Africa was named by Fast Company as one of Africa's top 10 most innovative companies. Prior to founding MFS Africa, Dario worked at MTN Group, where he developed his mobile payment strategy and led its implementation across 21 countries throughout Africa and the Middle East. He began his career as a management consultant with PricewaterhouseCoopers in Paris. Dare holds an MSc in Telecom Engineering from ENST Paris and an MBA from INSEAD. Join us as we explore how Dare's career journey led him to become a fintech founder. We explore how MFS Africa is building the railway for mobile money transfer in Africa, its growth plan, including partnerships in Asia, and many more. I hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, Dari. Welcome to the podcast. Where are you calling in from today? Good morning, Russell. I'm calling in from Johannesburg, South Africa. To start with, can you give an overview of your career to date and how you ended up in FitTech? Sure. So I'm um, I'm a telecom engineer by, by by background. I did my master's in the late '90s. Uh, I graduated in '99 from uh, telecom engineering. In Paris, uh, the year before that, I work in New York in a startup called Algorex. Uh, for uh, we were trying to build ADSL modems, basically the software for ADSL modems. ADSL was still very new innovation back then, and that was my first real, I would say, very technical work. Where I was kind of a staff engineer working on this and. One of the things I took out of that was uh, I was more drawn to the why um, than the how, if you want. So, uh, you know, why did we need to build ADSL modems? Was a question I was more obsessed with than getting the the channel coding right and to lower, uh, you know, error probability. You know, pretty much. So as a result of that, I when I went back and I graduated, I actually joined PricewaterhouseCoopers as a consulting a consulting company, um, to because I was more interested in you know, understanding the, the why and the business aspect of things. Uh, but my technical background came in handy. I still work mostly in the telecom and media sector. My clients were mostly in that, and this was also the dot com. So a lot of clients, or a lot of project with it was around you know, internet, e-commerce, um, the 2000 bug, if you're old enough to remember that, there was this Y2K issue that everybody was worried about. So I, I did a lot of I these things in, um, in, earlier in my career, uh, but halfway through, like many people, I think, you know, born and, born and raised in Africa, there is always this call of making a difference and that kind of that was always with me. Um, I tried to, I thought initially it would take me to nonprofit. Uh, so mm. I actually did a bit of experience around that in 2001, spent some time in a refugee camp in, uh, in Tanzania, actually, so the border between Tanzania and Burundi. Um, but just enough time to realize that while the intentions were really good, the impact was much smaller than what you can have, mm-hmm. you know, for business. So I went back to PwC, 
uh, spent a couple of more years, then decided to try and figure out what to do via business school. So I went to INSEAD. Uh, that's 2005, gave myself some time to think. And there I, I, I was, few things became clear. One is that indeed, um, you know, I wanted to go back to Africa. That was pretty much clear. Uh, the second one was mm-hmm. also that I did not have necessarily to choose between do good and do well. That there were mm-hmm. more and more businesses that could allow you to do both. And telecommunication, which was my field, was actually one of them where this is the time where uh, mobile networks were booming and rolling across Africa, and it was a perfect time to to jump on that. So that's how I joined MTN here in South Africa. Uh, in the strategy team, spent mm-hmm. some time there, eventually became responsible for the mobile payment strategy and implementation, spent the subsequent three years doing that with MTN, and eventually, you know, at some point also left MTN to start MFS Africa. So that's that's the journey, and this is the longest job I ever had. <laughs> I love this. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. And and I'm very honored that you shared bits of the bits of your journey that are not publicly available during this call. That's uh so that's really exciting to hear about uh, your time in a refugee camp and your time in an ADSL startup. My first experience with the internet was was of course before ADSL when we had the the the, the phone line, the dial-up, and, and you had that <laughs> very interesting noise that, that you had to experience before it connected. Yeah, and then you were, you were yourself, very early. <laughs> we're early in the game. And, yeah. and getting to ADSL was, was a massive leap. Um, and now moving to fiber and beyond is, 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 is very fascinating. Um, so, so I'm grateful that you've been part of that journey and uh, you've been able to bring high-speed broadband mm-hmm. to Africa and the world beyond. Yep. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience at MTN. It sounds that you know, networks have always been part of your DNA, part of your, your education. I'm curious to learn more about how joining MTN, which for the listeners, MTN is the largest telecoms group across Africa with operations across you know, multiple countries in Africa and in the Middle East. I'm curious to hear how that experience sort of shaped your view or your worldview and how that led you towards founding MFS Africa? So, first of all, it was 2006, which is, you know, it's, it's a completely different time, right? Uh, I think when I joined uh, the year before that, SIM cards were still being sold across mm-hmm. Africa, in Nigeria in particular. So you didn't just give them away. You have to, people would buy them, separate them for buying the at time. And I think at some point, they're retailing for over $100 in Nigeria, just as an example. Wow. So you have to go back and think, you know, the lot of things we take for granted today were not there. It was, you know, this ubiquity of voice, let alone internet, was not there. And so this mm-hmm. was the year really of expansion. What was already there, though, was this clear business model and the unpaid demand for connectivity. It was, it was very clear back then that, you know, uh, mobile mobile network or mobile te- telecom started a bit as a luxury good when you think about it. In my when I was still in France and people were thinking about you know the initial business plan, I was part at PwC. We were doing some work with, uh, with for a network in Benin, mm-hmm. and I think we we forecasted something like ten thousand SIM card after five years because we were wow. thinking about it as 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 luxury good. Like many people were, we were not the only one. 
you know, uh, my friend, I did a project in Morocco for the launch of the prepaid card there. This is now uh, late 99, 2000. And again, we were forecasting something like 30,000, you know, prepaid line. <laughs> and I think we did that in three months, the first three months. Yeah. So this is the time where the demand was very clear. The profitability of, of it has also become very clear. And you had a player like MTN that was bold, decisive, and was very clear about a continental ambition and was also very clear about its place as a company in the progress of Africa. So fantastic mm. time, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008, being at MTA was, was really great for me. And in many ways, well, one is, as I said, just, you know, it was a great company in a great time, doing great work. It was also coincided a bit with a, a movement of many people like myself in the diaspora coming back to Africa. And Johannesburg mm -hmm. was a little bit of a hub uh, or a place where people will come from different places, you know, London, New York, you know, Singapore, Dubai, San Francisco, Paris, of course, uh, to 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 congregate. And there was this whole sentiment that you know, we were kind of rebuild Africa from South Africa. And then mm -hmm. the third thing was we were all it was the lead up to the World Cup. You know, we were all on a high to the 2010 2010 World Cup. So this was all the in all, indeed, indeed, it, it was a, it was a great time. I learned a lot. It was my first experience actually working in a company in Africa. So when I left Benin, you know, I was 18. I was just, just finished high school. So you know, I didn't have. And although with PwC, I had the opportunity to work for some African companies as a consultant, it's not the same thing as working in a company. So what, what MTN allowed me to do or the opportunity was really to learn that and to learn that with a company that was really great. And I learned to understand the nuances of doing business across many countries that we were in. I definitely, you know, it was an opportunity to build a personal network that will be, that will turn out to be extremely useful in, in building MFS Africa. But most, and certainly not the least, I worked on mobile money for MTN. So I mm -hmm. really had to experience firsthand, we were really at the forefront of imagining what will be and what we're seeing today, you know, how mobile money works, uh, you know, a lot of those design, a lot of the choices, we were making them live. We didn't know how, how it will transpire, but mm -hmm. obviously having been part and having that experience played a critical role. And not just for me, a few of the people, part of the, I would say the founding team of MFS Africa were also already with me at MTN. And we took that experience and it was invaluable in kind of, you know, our formative years as MFS Africa. So. Mm -hmm. All in all, you know, nor, you know, if I have to go back, I'll, I'll definitely do it over again. It was, it was a great company in a great time, and we did great work, and, and it was a great time for South Africa and for Africa at that time. So all, all the signs were aligned. That's fantastic. That's really good to hear. Mm -hmm. Definitely around that time, I know the World Cup, the 2010 World Cup was coming up. There was a big hype around South Africa, and I guess around 2006 is probably when, you know, they started all the plans for it. So. I can definitely see how there was a lot of momentum at, at that time. I'd like to go to towards MFS Africa and understand a bit more about your founding vision. And ideally, if you could just take us back to that time in 2006, 2007, or you know, around about the time you founded the business, what was your vision for the business? And how has it evolved yeah. since then? 
yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's some, how to put this? What was clear to me was more the opportunity than the product. You know, some people mm. found businesses on a very clear idea of, okay, this, this product will solve this problem, right? For me, it was more the problem, mm. but I didn't know what the product was. But I saw, I knew that the, the, there were ingredients of the product around what I knew. The problem was really matching the experience of telecommunication and the experience of migrants with the experience of money. I mean, I'm sure, mm -hmm. you know, from Philadelphia, I'm sure you're still sending money home, right? Absolutely. Now, put yourself back in 94 when I left in the first time, I can tell you calling home was as hard as sending money home. It, it, it was not. It was not a smooth experience, but I've I've then gone through the whole you know cycle to make that very smooth on the telecom side. That you know, by the time I joined MTN, I had a mobile phone that I could literally just call my parents from. You know, in '94, I had to write letters to tell them when I'm going to call to be sure that they, they were <laughs> at the right place. So 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 that that for me and the, our ability to replicate that for money was kind of the opportunity and why it was not already there was kind of the problem. But how do you go about it and what to do with it, how you do it was not clear. One thing I knew was that part of it will, will need to involve some sort of connectivity with existing mobile money that we were just were starting, right? I mean, by the time I left, I think it was really Mpesa in the world mm -hmm. to speak of as mobile money. But there were a lot of problems, and we have done a lot of work that you know things will evolve. So there was an idea that we could build a platform that could connect to all mobile money platforms, and somehow will facilitate movement of money. Uh, mm -hmm. But we we're not clear why will anybody do this for the first time? You know who will do it? And we experimented a lot around: will this be useful and the killer app, we, you know, there was an expression in the telecom world that day, or the internet in general, you know, what is the killer app? You know, SMS was a killer app on, on mobile. You know, it, wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't completely understood at the beginning, but it drove a lot of mobile and continued to drive a lot of, to drive a lot of mobile traffic. So there was a question, should we be looking for the, the killer app of mobile money? What, what will drive that and that? Can we build a network around that? Or will it be, and will, is that killer app things that did not exist, were not possible, like insurance? You know, selling insurance in Africa in 2010 was extremely difficult. It's still difficult today, but it was extremely costly to do that. And we, we experimented around that because you could dramatically change the cost of distribution of insurance premium, especially mm -hmm. when it's life insurance. Or will that be money transfer, you know, where... Money transfer companies again. Distribution is a big was and continue to be a big a big part of that business. So we we without being very set on okay, this is what the product looks like. We we went in. I started really around this idea of having a platform that connects to mobile money platforms mm -hmm. and design it in a way that leaves doors open for many possibilities, and then experiment a lot. Um, and you know we, we we did that for a while until. We kind of got a bit of uh, momentum going. We had enough. We were connected to a dozen of mobile money platforms uh, between MTN and Orange mainly. And at that point, the idea of actually just the, the killer app just being P2P, like 
which was already becoming a killer app on mobile money. But people have, by then, this is now 2014, 2015. So it took us five years of, you know, just hoping to be generally right in the direction, <laughs> but but not 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 really, not really real traction, I would say. Um, yeah. But when that happened is when really we started seeing that moving money, using your phone in, in Cote d'Ivoire to send money to someone else on a phone was a killer app and was becoming mm. a killer app and people were absolutely comfortable. And now telling them that you could actually do the same thing to a phone in Benin was just simple enough for people to start doing it. And the same mm. between Rwanda and Uganda, you know, between Kenya and Rwanda. So turns out that we didn't need to necessarily find a third party service like insurance, money transfer, all that, that were outside of the, our, our network. Turns out we could actually just use the network in itself to grow it by relying mm-hmm. on cross-border P2P, where we used to call it XP2P. So just that simple use case of you know, replicate what I'm doing domestically in Cote d'Ivoire, sending money to a phone number. If I can just mm-hmm. put a, a foreign phone number, it will work. Turns out to be the killer app that we were looking for, and that we only figured that out, you know, five years in the journey. <laughs> <laughs> and and when that when when that became when we 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 got that well, you know, uh, and that's where I think we 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 were pretty good at executing. Um, you know, we we tend to score when we get a chance. Mm. Put it that way, and we saw <laughs> we saw we saw that this this was actually something. And the following two years, we just put our head down and just grew that. And that it, it was really magic in the sense that you know it was growing transaction and revenue, but it was also growing the network in the same state. So you know the the whole concept of network effect mm. took it full full space in that. And that's that's that then. And then we we. By 2018, we had a network that was was big enough and had had some good traction and momentum that we could now start thinking about who else can this network be useful for. And mm-hmm. that's at the time that we went back to some of the things we started with to say, hey, we can actually make this network useful for banks or financial mm-hmm. institutions at large, whether in the insurance for, for premium collection or claims payment, we can make this network useful for money transfer companies inside or outside of Africa as a great distribution tool. We can make this network uh, very interesting for you know merchants or enterprise at large. So from there on, we by the time we had the network, then there was an element of network effect that would continue to grow it, but also create the opportunity to make this network useful for more than the people on the network, which are the mobile networks. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. I'd like to perhaps give an overview for some of our global listeners. Can you explain what mobile money is? Uh, I think from, from the African context, you know, this is very well understood, but I think globally it's yeah. And it would be helpful as well if you could give us a contrast between uh, mobile money in the form of M-Pesa or MTN mobile money versus mm-hmm. some of the the OTT apps that you see, like uh, Venmo, Cash App, etc., and and and, and Actually, perhaps if you can give us a sense of how important mobile money is to to African economies. Sure. So uh, it's, it's good you mentioned Venmo because for the longest time I was struggling to explain mobile money to American audience. I would say so. <laughs> every year in the early days, go to the US and try to explain the business. It was always difficult. Until there was Venmo. So I could say, oh, it's just like Venmo. 
It's just like Venmo. Well, it was Venmo years to... before Venmo. <laughs> of course, it's the OG, right? <laughs> but 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 it it is Venmo. But imagine Venmo was done by your by T-Mobile, you know, by by your mobile networks, and mm. and therefore the, the the experience is very much optimized for 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 mobile, right? And um, and similar to Alipay, you know, WeCash, uh, you know, uh, WeChat Pay. Uh, all all these are still store of values, which mobile money is. There are one, maybe two fundamental differences. One is, as I mentioned, they tend to be mostly led by mobile networks who then use the, the existing subscriber base, their distribution, their brand and brand recognition to push it. So it, mm-hmm. it, it then turns to be very large networks uh, or payment schemes. And the second one is the way you put money on it does not rely on any other sort of value by and large. So if you take Venmo, you take Cash App, you take you know, WeChat, all these things rely primarily on you having another source of money, store of value, whether it's your bank account, card, whatever. And mm-hmm. they're selling you mostly convenience and better user experience. Whereas mm-hmm. mobile money, you can literally put cash, go to one of the agents of the mobile networks and put money on it. So you don't need to have had any prior relationship with any bank, any financial institution. This could become and is still today the first formal financial relationship that mm-hmm. hundreds of million people have on the continent. So which answer your second question to say how important this is. But well, this is actually, if we're thinking about what money being digital does for, for economies around the world, mobile money is the first large-scale digitalization of money across the continent. And when we talk about mobile money, usually we focus about the application, the phone, the mobile, but the unsung heroes of mobile money are actually those agents across Africa. You know, it's like 7-Eleven in the US, the shops and mom and pop. About last count, it's probably more than that now, but over 5 million of those in sub-Saharan Africa alone, who effectively act like bank agents where People can come and you know put money, digitalize the cash, or convert it back into cash, and that you have to compare it to, you know, probably less than, I don't know. Let me be generous: hundred thousand bank branches across mm-hmm. the continent, and if you exclude South Africa and North Africa, probably I would say maybe fifty thousand or less. So, hundred and fifty years of banking on the continent, you get to somewhere fifty thousand to hundred thousand bank branches. 10 years of mobile money, 5 million of mobile money agents. So, and that's ubiquity, that really breadth and depth of the agent network is also something that is very unique to how mobile money operates here in Africa, uh, because that's the main source of funding the account. It's not someone Mm. linking it to the card or the bank. Literally people are taking cash, going to an agent, putting the money on it, and then being able to transact. And when they have cash, they have money on it, they can also go to the same again and they can take the money back. Mm. Thank you so much for that overview. And just to put MFS Africa in context, in its current state, where does it play in the um, mobile money tech stack? Yeah. So we are really kind of the swift of mobile money, if you want. Mm-hmm. So in the banking world, the fact that you know you can do the wires and cross-border wires most of the time uh, mm-hmm. using SWIFT as, as a messaging layer. But 
we do that and more. In the telecom world, we will be like the switch. So, you know, the fact that you can pick up your phone in Philadelphia now, you can call mm -hmm. someone in Johannesburg here or someone in Moscow or someone in Ethiopia. It's not because T-Mobile or whoever you use pull a cable to MTN here in South Africa or, you know, they are on somewhere in, in Russia. It's going through switches. And, yeah. and then we find a way to always find a path between those two phones uh, and, and by stitching networks together. And so MFS Africa, we play the same role for mobile money. We connect the mobile money networks themselves, the schemes, in a way that you can be on MTN mobile money in Guinea Conakry and you want to send money to someone on Airtel in Niger. And we will then be able to facilitate that transaction in a B2B fashion. So you as a consumer, mm. you will not see us, you will not find us the same way you don't know who is actually finding that path for you from the US to South Africa on that call. You are just still dealing with T-Mobile and I'm still dealing with MTN. Mm. In the money example, the consumer is still dealing with MTN mobile money, the receiver is still dealing with Airtel money. We as MFS Africa offer our service to those businesses, those payment schemes, to connect to our platform in a way that creates always a pathway between their users for cross-border transactions. So, and our service, you can, you can break it down into kind of three layers. We offer mm -hmm. a tech slash messaging layer, that's, you know, technical terms that APIs, integrations, and just connect the platform so that message can run through. The second service is compliance. So we make sure that, you know, those transactions cross-border are compliant with all the laws applicable to the regulation in Guinea Conakry, the regulation in Niger in this case, and the regulation in the UK or Mauritius where we are operating this service from, uh, where, where we domicile ourselves. Uh, so we, we offer that kind of end-to-end -end compliance uh, to, to, to the service. And then there is a settlement layer, which is a big difference with maybe someone like Swift who will focus mostly on the messaging layer. In our case, we will go into not only the messaging, but also the compliance and the settlement. Settlement means that there is actually settlement relationship with our clients. When someone's sending that money from Guinea Conakry to Niger, at the end, you know, someone needs to be settled. Someone was out of pocket in that transaction and that needs mm -hmm. to be settled. And we handle that also for our client. So the, the, the value proposition is that once you connect to us, like let's say MTN in Guinea Conakry, you then benefit from all that the network has to do. So every new partners that we are connecting to becomes available to you. You know, if we had Orange in Madagascar, well, that becomes available to you, subject to regulation, of course. Mm -hmm. But you know, if we had a new a new merchant onto the network, that becomes also available to you. If we had a new uh, you know uh, NGO that wants to disbursement, that so the like in any network effect, every new member of the network, we talk about nodes, add to the network, but also benefit from the network. And that's really what, what keeps driving our growth from, from a network point of view. Thank you. Thank you for breaking that down for us. Um, it makes it very clear. And it's very clear that your networking DNA is all over, <laughs> in all over. Africa as it is now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, one of the things we learn from networking 101 is sort of the network is as valuable as 
the members in it. And okay. with every additional uh, addition to the network, the, the value grows almost exponentially, right? One thing we've seen from MFS Africa in the last few years is that um, there's been a lot of inorganic uh, growth coming from MFS Africa. So some notable acquisitions include Bionic in Uganda, Baxi in Nigeria, and as well as GTP, Global Technology Partners, in the U.S., which was a, a big news item last year in 2022. I'd love to hear a bit more from you how MFS Africa and you think about these acquisitions and how these fit into your broader vision. Yeah, so we, back in 2018, uh, you know, kind of, uh, as I explained earlier, after we figured out that we, we got a network, it's working, it's, it was built and it works for mobile money players, money, mm -hmm. but it has value outside of that segment. We then started the journey to figure out what other segments could this be valuable? You know, who mm -hmm. can use this and find it valuable enough to pay us money for it, pretty much. Right. Mm -hmm. So and we we identified three other segments in addition to the mobile networks. Very obvious money transfer organizations. So very clear. We we you know, and we, we've done that organically, we continue to grow that, it's very clear. Banks, you know, a lot of hit and misses, a lot of trials, but we we are there now, and part of it has been also to be really, really relevant. And I think the GTP acquisition that we've done has helped us be more relevant to banks. So mm -hmm. we are bringing a lot of things uh, to them. But so that's another segment. And the third one is something we term loosely enterprise, and you can imagine in there that there could be a lot, and there is a lot. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, we meant really small and medium businesses in Africa. That was what we, we had in mind. And what we were also very clear about by set, when we set these goals is that we will use a combination of organic and inorganic uh, approach to growing. So we were not shying away from you know, buying what we didn't have. You know, we don't have, you know, not invented here. It's not something we do. Like if we think something is better, uh, done by another team, we're very happy to partner with that team to do it. And that's really, the Onyx was realizing that we did not have the DNA to serve enterprise. We were coming from being really mobile money, mobile network centric team, and we knew how to operate in that environment. Mm -hmm. And we were trying to get into MTOs and we we're trying to get into banks. We didn't have the ability to go into a third one ourselves. You know, quickly enough, and so on. So we chose to go into that for acquisition, and that's how we did the Baxi, uh, the the Bionic acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, Baxi was a combination of a need to, you know, one, for all these segments, the network remains important. So you have to keep building the network, and the beauty of it is your clients are also helping the network. But there is another dimension to the network, which is which countries you are in. And at that time, we were not enough in Nigeria. We we're not in a meaningful way. So we found the ability to enter through acquisition, which not only gave us the country, but also add another dimension to the network, which is you know, cash points and POS mm -hmm. devices. So that made sense to, to do it that way. Uh, and then GTP, as I mentioned, um, was a prolonged you know, extension of something we started, which is the interoperability with card networks. Uh, and again, to augment what people can do. If you go back to that Guinea Conakry example, 
if I have my mobile money account in Guinea Conakry, yesterday I can send money and I can receive money from the South Africa network. But how do I buy on Amazon.com? Uh, you mm. know, when will Amazon.com integrate mobile money in Guinea Conakry as a payment option among all the payment options that they need to integrate in the world? It's probably going to take a long time. And, you know, should we hold it against Amazon? Maybe we should. But <laughs> it's, still, it's, still, it's still the fact. So we thought we could flip the problem and, and just make it possible for that person in Guinea Conakry to actually have card credentials that mm-hmm. then allows them to deal with merchants who are already accepting card globally. So to turn the network, the possibility of the network, not just around Africa and what MFS Africa can, can build in Africa, but the entire world. Mm-hmm. And GTP was a way for us to accelerate that. So all in all, we have a pretty clear view of what the future, what we should do. And it is continue to serve those four segments. So the banks, the networks, the, the money transfer organizations and enterprises. And what mm-hmm. we're serving them with is the network. And, and the network, we need to continue to build it, make it valuable, make it useful, make it simple, make it trusted. And in those, we are happy to do a right combination of organic and inorganic. So we, we, we don't see it as something exceptional. It's completely embedded into way the, the way we think about the future. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And just also thinking of, Another area of growth that we've seen coming from MFS Africa um, is in the partnerships. We've seen a whole range of partnerships, including Ripple, Visa, PayPal, and PayPal's remittances business called Zoom, as well as the last $200 million Series C round. We know that part of that was earmarked for a joint venture with an Asian investment management firm called Loon Partners. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that right. Love to hear a bit more about, you know, your partnership approach and if we're going to expect to see more of MFS Africa going to Asia or vice versa. Okay. On partnership, you can see from what I've said before that it just it's part of how we grow the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we on one side, we need to build networks and we continue to do that. But we then need to make sure that that network is useful for a range of players. So all these companies you mentioned will fit somewhere in those segments. that are, And we see them really, we see those partnership as a way to advance our mission, which is again, make create more possibility for the person in Guinea Conakry. So if you now can receive money directly from Western Union directly onto your mobile wallet, that's more possibilities for you. If you can do the same with zoom.com, you know, if you can, you know, buy online and, and the cards that I mentioned earlier. Ripple is a little bit different and it is mm-hmm. part of uh, our overall approach to crypto, uh, which you know we, we have a whole plan or a whole strategy around it led by, by one of my colleagues, Guerra, um, which we talk about crypto as scale. And there we want to do a number of things. One is to make sure we can support on-ramp off-ramp in compliance mm-hmm. with regulations where this is permitted, we allow you know, the, the exchanges to be able to accept digital money, fiat money, which you know, then that people can use to buy crypto. And when they sell crypto, they need this to come back into the fiat world. And we are kind of that bridge, the online offering. And so that's we're doing, we're doing quite a lot, but we also find quite interesting the possibilities that Ripple is offering around 
around liquidity management and settlement around the world. And this could be alternative to you know, other ways of doing cross-border payment. And, and that partnership is, is linked, it's, it's in that framework. And mm. it, it may complement or disrupt some of the things we are doing in the traditional world, but it is something we are excited about to definitely explore the possibilities that is attached to it. You mentioned Asia, yes, and China in particular, I would say. Mm. And loan partners have been investors in MFS Africa since 2018. They, they invested in our Biron, and they've been, they've been a great partner of ours since then. And one of the things that we are doing with the team is indeed focus on Africa-China payment highways, we call them, because we are seeing the growing trade between Africa and China, the growing need for African importers, traders, to make payment or receive payments from China. And, you know, we are talking about things that people are doing in the street of Douala and, and mm. um, Cotonou and Nairobi. And so $5,000 to $50,000, let's say, a full container, a portion of a container of importing stuff that gets sold in markets. And what we've seen a couple of years ago is the experience of doing this is actually not great. And there's a lot of compliance issues that result mm. into this sort of dispute. You know, the, the importer in Nairobi is absolutely sure that he sent the money and he indeed sent the money, but the money never arrived because it was flagged for some compliance reason put in some suspense account to China. Therefore, he never sent the Chinese exporter, never chance, uh, sent the goods, all that turned out to problem. So, we, we have been focusing on solving for this by creating a really smooth, simple, and compliant way to make payment from Africa to China. Uh, that's really what we're focusing on at the moment. And we've been doing this in partnership with Loon. What it means in practice is we actually have a team of seven, eight people now permanently based in Shanghai who are making sure wow. we understand and working on the Chinese side of it. And then obviously being MFS Africa being uh, Based in Africa, we understand what's going on on this side and really investing the time and the money to build something that is reliable, just the way we build the whole company, right? Normally say, you know, we want to build something that will last 100 years. So if you think about it, like building a bridge, a mm -hmm. payment bridge between those two continents, we are doing the hard work of laying the bricks one by one, making sure that it works, we test it. It can hold the volumes that we think this will become, and and it's been a it's been a fascinating journey. We learned, I personally learned quite a lot about, you know, I would say what people call Africa China overall from all yeah. its aspects. You know, the, the business aspect, the geopolitical aspect, the cultural aspect, all of it is wrapped into this project that we're doing. And I'm quite excited about it. Wow, that's that's very fascinating. Um, this reiterates one of the questions that I always get. You know, is fintech in in Africa oversaturated? And you know, I always think about it in terms of you. You talk about a bridge. I talk about a railway system, yes. right? And yeah. and I feel there are a lot of carriages, but not enough railway. And from Absolutely. what I can hear, is MFS Africa is really working on building that sustainable, broad-based railway for all the carriages we want to top of. That's you put it better than I could have myself. So it's really for, for me, you can get the impression that it's saturated if you think about the number of apps that people are putting out for people on Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. whether they are in Lagos or in Johannesburg, <laughs> like there's a very small 
portion of the African market that is on Twitter. And if you're building for those, an app, you know, to make, to buy, I don't know, I don't know, to buy fractional shares in, I don't know, the US. There are quite a few really good, fun stuff that could get quickly flattered. But if you're thinking about building the layers that is needed to actually have profound impact and building a business that can last 100 years, I don't mm-hmm. think that is saturated. And I think there's a lot to do. You know, I keep talking about Guinea Conakry. I think we're just, you know, touching the surface in a country like that. Then there are mm. 40 other countries like that. If you if you think about really the possibilities and what it what it will take to make commerce really easy. And we all are in business school, I'm sure you know this by now that you know the development will come through trade. That then you need to have intervention and so on, but people need to be able to to do business. And if you think about what it means to be born in any, like a country like, you know, where I was born, you know, 10 million people-ish, it is a disadvantage. The market is too small. Mm. So if you think about someone born in Benin right now, today, and you think about the kind of possibilities that person needs to have 20 years from now, 30 years from now, most of them has to be outside of Benin. So they, are, they need to be able to engage beyond the need, right? To be able to really realize their full potential. Now, do they need to move to do that? No, it shouldn't be. You know, you and I have mm-hmm. to move to pursue others, but they shouldn't be. Because today you can call, you can communicate and so on. And we think to build real, reliable payment rails, as you put it, you know, the infrastructure mm-hmm. that really allow you to do real business and have an idea from Benin and build it and still sell it to the whole world and being able to be paid, it requires work, the kind of work that we are doing at MFS Africa. And I can tell you, we need a lot more than that or than, than what we are doing to achieve it, especially if we want to achieve it in the context of this high unemployment on the continent, the problem that we have, you know, the job market, how, how will we feed all the people who are being born today? I think it's even more urgent that we do more of this work. And I don't, I don't think we anywhere close to saturation on the continent. There's not a lot of noise on Twitter, but not, not much more than that. saturation. Thank you so much. That, that's, that's really good to hear. And, and just on that note, as we close out, Dari, I know you're really big on talent. Um, you also mentioned that one of MFS Africa's strength is on execution. So for our lit- listeners who might be interested in working at MFS Africa, we'd love to hear What's your philosophy on on hiring people into MFS Africa? Are you hiring, and what qualities do you look for? Yeah, so we we are hiring very selectively. Uh, you know, like everybody else in tech, you know, we have gone through rapid growth, and in our case, both internal and external growth. Uh, so we are taking this year of 2023 for to consolidate things a little bit and get get more out of what we have. So we are hiring, but way less than we used to and very selectively. Now, what do we look for when we hire? Uh, I tell in general, brilliance is hygiene factor. You know, the fact that, you know, you can count quickly, you can move on your feet, you can get things done. It, it's mm-hmm. it's hygiene factor. And we do test for those things. And, and, and we want to fill the place with that. The two other things that are really important for us, number one, is the passion and mm-hmm. is the resonance with the cause. What it is that we're doing is actually really, really difficult and really complicated that if you're not passionate about it, you will give up. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's you know the kind of issues that we have to deal with. So we really try to to fill the place with people who with whom our mission resonates and they're passionate about making this change in the world of, of raising borders when it comes to payment. And, and the second thing is great stat courage. Like, you know, I've been doing this 13 years and I can tell you plan A never works. Mm. Whatever you're thinking, you know, it's not going to work. So we look for people who are able to get to plan D, plan E, plan F mm. if they need to. Like ability to they stay in power, just to grind with it, because unfortunately, that's what it requires to build from scratch, which is a bit what we're doing, where you need to lay those tracks. You're going to have to go through mountains. You're going to have to blast through walls. And not everybody's built for that. And not mm-hmm. that's not, it's, you know, everybody's not. When you're passionate about it, it just helps you when you love it and you need to stay with it. But still, your ability to really, really stay with it uh, is something that you know we 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 value. Of course, more contests you have, the better. So you know, and African students tend to have that more. We don't need to explain, you know, what the street in Osaka looks like. You know, mm-hmm. you've been on the street of of Nairobi or, or Kampala. You know, you know your way around the You know, in Nigeria. <laughs> so there are some basics that give natural advantage if you're gonna work. If you've been there, you don't need to be African. But if you've been with Africa, if you have some experience of what life looks like in, in those places, it does help a lot. Fantastic. Thank you. That that gives us a very clear picture of, of the value that Emirates Africa has. And just to wrap up, uh, we usually like to end with a question, a fun question that allows the viewers to get to know you a little better. My question for you is, what's a fun fact about you that most people wouldn't know? Wow. <laughs> um actually i like i love to cook oh, wow um, and and uh and out of INSEAD uh, so at INSEAD i took an entrepreneurship class and mm-hmm. you know and you have to you have to kind of write a business plan for a business and mm-hmm. and research it and so on and uh mine was going to be a restaurant so wow. <laughs> out of INSEAD, the, the business I thought I would start first was going to be a restaurant, <laughs> which eventually, obviously, you know, ended up very, very differently. But yeah, I, I still have that passion. I still, I mean, I still cook a lot at home myself. But and one day maybe I'll open a restaurant. <laughs> that is very exciting to hear. Um, just to add, follow on that, what are your favorite cuisines to make? And potentially what is one of your most favorite restaurants to visit? Oh wow, restaurants! Well, I mean, it depends where, right? We're, we're in Joburg, where, where I am here in Joburg, I, you know, in South Africa, you need to love the meat, and yeah. a lot of good, good, good meat places. Uh, I like to make a lot of the food from Benin because obviously I know the recipes, you know, I, I cannot, you know, I, in my memories, and they help me to travel back home. I'm pretty good jollof maker. And I'm wow. not going to even get into that argument. I don't know the <laughs> Nigerians and the Ghanaian going at each other, but I will vote Senegal any day, and I can make I can make a pretty good chapji. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dari. Um, it's been such a pleasure learning about you, <laughs> learning about your business, and and talking to you. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review. 
It means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, you can subscribe to our podcast and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, special thanks to our editor, Rafael Osterio. Signing off until next time, I'm your host, Russell Matambo.